0: So here we are. Uh, we're rolling. We're here with Zach. And if you didn't catch the previous episode, I highly recommend it. Zach Clark is with us. He was a standout in high school, uh, derailed quickly by labrum surgery, division one pitcher, labrum surgery a second time, Uh, Battled his way, got a uh, free agent contract with the Baltimore Orioles, spent over 10 years with them, made it briefly to the big leagues, and then was uh, DFA'd by them, which basically means, hey, we're getting rid of you. And they asked him to convert into a knuckleball pitcher. So Zach spent over a year trying the conversion to a knuckleballer and didn't stick. So here we are, we're picking the story back up where my phone rang. And at the time in 2014, I had just made my comeback back into baseball. So I blew my elbow out for a second time in 2012, missed all of 2013, and then uh, scrapped my way back into baseball. So at that's the start of that year, 2014. It was a lot of changes. So with me, kind of fill in uh, kind of the backstory. I was trying out for the Somerset Patriots, which are they're one of the best teams in the Atlantic League, which is the highest level of independent baseball. Uh, That's where, you know, the league where Rich Hill came out of and Dontrell Willis played and Scott Casimir, all these big names. And I got a spring training invite. I go to Somerset. I throw well. I do everything I could and I get cut. So for two weeks, I hang out in limbo because when you get cut right by, you know, right after opening day, there's not much out there for you. Everyone else has finalized their rosters. They've cut their guys and so for two weeks i just kind of hung around in purgatory trying to hopefully catch on with some team and then and, and get my comeback and so finally the Cannon river sharks uh one of the lower teams they were struggling at the time in the atlantic league they gave me a call so i had pitched against them in spring training you know we had a bunch of exhibition games with the Patriots, and we i pitched against the river sharks twice and i threw well against them both times so and actually through a uh, really just an acquaintance, a guy named Ryan Quigley, who had uh, read my blog, we connected a little bit. He played a bunch of pro ball, was an excellent pitcher. He played for Camden a couple of years prior and he made a call for me um, after he had heard that I got released. And he said, hey, like, you know, Dan's a good dude. You should think about him. So when they needed an arm to fill out a a struggling starting rotation, I finally got yanked out of purgatory and I I got my chance with Camden. So I was there. Camden, New Jersey is right across the river from Philadelphia. And I had kind of settled in and I'd been there for a couple months and, you know, Zach and I kept up with each other. And finally my phone rang one day and I remember walking out of the clubhouse and standing outside of Camel's Field and like, hey man, what's up? And
1: yeah, so the knuckleball experiment was over.
0: When did you kind of feel the end coming with them? I mean, I know you said you're in extended spring training, but like, What is extended like? Uh, Well, it was different that time. Extended is like Groundhog Day where you basically just
1: do the same thing every day. You get to the field at about 7.30, 8 o'clock, and you got to be out on the field by maybe 9, 9.30. You'll stretch, go through like team fundamental defense or whatever, and then... Uh, you'll probably you'll play, you know, an exhibition game against either your own team or one of the other teams that are close by. So it's basically like spring training, but there's no peep there's nobody around. You know, you feel like you're, they don't, the games don't really matter. It's a strange place in baseball. It's, it's, it's a good place to work on stuff, but it's, uh, you're so far away from everything that's going on. You just kind of feel like you're forgotten.
0: So then when you're just practicing it all the time,
1: that must be horrible. I enjoy practicing. It's not that you just. Yeah, it, but that's not normal. The goal. Yeah, but the goal is like to get to the big leagues. And if you're an extended, you're you're at the lowest level you can be at at that time in America. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you're in affiliated baseball, you're in extended. You're as low as it gets like you've got a long way to go and i wasn't there because i was i was there because that's where my skill level was i wasn't there because i was rehabbing or whatever i was i had a lot of levels to work through so
0: i feel like the knuckleball is this big misconception where have you ever seen this youtube video of this old guy from like california he seems like this rich overprivileged um i don't know maybe he'd made a, a bunch of money and he's got these youtube videos that are just like laughably ridiculous of him like bench pressing and like running sprints. Yeah. He's like in his mid forties and he's like claims that he has a knuckleball that can get pro hitters out right away when he's never played pro baseball, so he has literally no idea what a pro hitter can do. <laughs> have, you, have you seen those videos?
1: Yeah, his catcher is like is uh, <laughs> is like a dude with dreads, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't think his catcher spoke any English, but yeah, it's the it's the most ridiculous thing, and I feel like people have this misconception they can just oh I throw a good knuckleball that like my friends have a tough time catching, so I can just go be Ra Dickey. Or Tim Wakefield, like I could do that. I caught your knuckleball like once I think in college, and you almost hit me in the chest with it. So I was like, screw that, I'm I'm, I'm done, <laughs> I'm out of here, I'm taking my glove and going home. But I don't I don't think that people get it, like how good pro hitters are. I mean, like how how do pro hitters handle knuckleballs?
1: Well, if you got a good one, it I mean it messes people up if you can execute it. The thing is, it's just really hard to execute consistently. And it's not even hard to execute. I guess it's hard to get the results you want because you can execute it right. But it's it's just so different than the way everything else is. You've got to be you've got to be so good at staying within yourself, and you've got to be patient, and you you have to let go of your ego, and you you at the same time you have to be driven, and there's it, you have to be locked into what you're doing. You have to be uh, you know able to make fine little adjustments. You have there's so many things. I mean, it's just like pitching, but it's it's a lot more skill than. I mean, I thought I'd like like, oh, yeah, throw a knuckleball like no big deal. And and uh, maybe I made it harder than it was, but it was by far the hardest thing I ever tried to do on a baseball field Uh, because you can't athleticism it or, you know, it's not like the quality of athlete has any indication of how good the pitch is going to be. So you could be that that 45 year old guy. He could be. I mean, it's just going to I mean, he could be right. It's just, you know, I don't know who's going to give him a chance
0: to find that out. Okay, so I guess my last question about your time as a knuckleballer, did you regret giving it a go? I mean, did you regret being like, yeah, like I can do this? Um, When it was all said and done, like, would you have done it different? Would you have just taken your release from the Orioles and tried to go be a, you know, continue your career as normal with another club?
1: No, I mean, I was ready to throw the knuckleball. I was. you know, I was exhausted from all the arm care that I had to do just to maintain that fringy fastball. I mean, it was I was tired of doing that. You know, I was I wanted to do the knuckleball. I just didn't think I was I didn't think that was the time that I was going to get to do it was right after I had like gotten to the point where I wanted to be um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not throw the knuckleball, but I may go about it a little differently. Mm -hmm. Um, if I had to do it over again, you know, and I may have stayed with the things that made me good to begin with, stayed with my delivery more and, and had the knuckle and fit the
0: knuckleball into me instead of me trying to fit into the knuckleball. So you called me and you said, Hey, I'm trying to come back be a conventional pitcher, you know, you'd spend your whole year, your whole career in affiliated ball with the Orioles. And I said, all right, like I'll go talk to my manager. I walk inside, you know, we were struggling, we could use another starter. So then like a half an hour, you had a contract being faxed your way. And it was, you know, the location was good where you could live at home because you're again, I mean, you're from Princeton and Camden's only about what, 75 minutes from there. So at, at that point, you've made your mind up that you're going to try independent ball. And at that moment it was kind of bizarre that like what 11 years later we became teammates again yeah and then we were cool, together on this journey of you trying to convert back into a conventional pitcher um so we were you know catch partners again and i mean what was it like like trying to find yourself again. I mean, it, it couldn't have been like you're buried super deep because you did that for 30 years. How was the initial process of you converting back into a regular pitcher? Uh,
1: it was. It started off good. I felt like, okay, it's coming back. I feel good. The ball's coming out of my hand okay. You know, I had to build up the arm strength because I wasn't doing a ton of long toss. You know, I my throwing program was really like... Um, I threw, I got loose, I stretched it out a little bit, and then I immediately came in and worked on throwing knuckleballs. And it was a lot of 60, 70 foot catch, not 120 on a line, 180 on a line, like not, there wasn't a lot of throwing. So just building the arm strength back up, that took a little bit of time, but I felt like I started to get a little bit of that. And then I started to, I think I maybe did a little bit too soon or too much too quick. And I had like some nerve irritation in my elbow. Uh, so I got shut down after I think like five starts. So I was like just starting to loosen up and I had to shut it down.
0: Well, and scouts were starting to bug our manager about you too. So like I kind of had felt that, you know, two, two or three more starts and you're probably out of there. I mean, was that kind of the feeling you were getting? Cause within five starts, you had what 30 innings and like a one, five ERA and then in independent in independent ball. Guys get recirculated pretty fast. So, you know, a guy who has some big league time or a ton of AAA time, if they're doing well in the Atlantic League, like they're gone pretty quick. I mean, did you have the sense that you were maybe going to get your chance if your elbow, you know, hadn't barked at you that year?
1: I felt like if I'd done, I mean, I didn't, I knew that if I had pitched the way I knew I could pitch, I would be okay. I didn't know what would happen, but I would be all right. Um, and I was kind of on that you know i started to feel okay i was in you know i had a nice little routine and things felt pretty good so i was like okay you know this is starting to come back and uh yeah never really you know right when i started to kind of hit my stride i had to you know i was just kind of dealing with that soreness maybe changing some things and uh you know like you're, you're always wondering what you should and shouldn't throw through and what you know how how much worse is it making my stuff to not to to avoid the you know the feelings you get doing certain things.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit how exhausted you were from doing arm care, um, and I think that's something a lot of young players don't appreciate of like how much it takes to to stay healthy. So with you with two labrum surgeries in your past, obviously you know playing a decade of pro ball and being in your 30s what what other things started to weigh on you as you got older because obviously you're married you know you had a daughter on the way and now you have two tell me about the dynamic of of being a father and a husband and still being a minor league baseball player kind of holding on
1: well it's it makes it a lot tougher because then all of a sudden you like you know you you want to play for money you don't want money to be the driving force you know you want it to be a or I wanted it to be a nice cherry on top for getting where I wanted to be but, but at that but once you start having other people relying on you and you know money becomes it has it's you know it's a little bit more important and you start thinking of other people other than yourself and my you know my wife was awesome she was super supportive you know it doesn't mean it was always easy but she was support she supported me and you know she was okay when I made no money I mean, I basically made no money the whole time because I really only had those four days in the big leagues, which, you know, you're not making a ton of money. And if you spread it out over the eight years that I played, it basically averages to like way less than a, an entry level job for those eight years. So, it, you know, going to indie ball, it's definitely not about the money. And it puts, you know, you you start saying like, OK, maybe I had to like reevaluate like, OK, now. I'm injured. Uh, That delays everything. Now I don't start with another team. Now I'm a guy who threw a knuckleball and I'm injured. And I ended up not coming back that year. And I just, you know, just made sense to shut it down and come back the next year healthy. We had a we had a daughter at home, so it just changed. It just puts things in perspective. You then start. I was like, well, what if uh, what if somebody from the West Coast picks me up and I end up going to. I don't know, the te- the Southern League or the Texas League or the Pacific Coast League, like, you know, I obviously can't bring my family there. It, it just changes your perspective a little bit. It makes it a little bit, it's already a grind. It just adds another uh, variable to the equation.
0: And your wife, Amy, you know, she's an entrepreneur. Talk a little bit about how she kind of helped support you guys like while you're still playing.
1: Well, she had, a yeah, she had like a, she you know, her. she has, yeah, she did, she did well and she had, she was flexible. I mean, she had like, like, she was able to make a schedule and, you know, come out and see me when, you know, when I wasn't in Indy Ball, she could you know, come on weekends and stuff or whenever her schedule permitted and like we were at home or somewhere close. So yeah, she was, you know, she was the breadwinner. She's, you know, she still is the breadwinner right now. So You know, I was fortunate that I had somebody that was able to do that and, you know, make it, you know, allow me to do what I love to do.
0: Well, yeah, and I think that's, uh, I mean, it's a common theme. You know, I was single my whole career, but a lot of guys, you know, 26, 27, they get married and there's a lot of wives who are teachers, you know, and that's just, I guess that probably, I don't know that it's like selected for it, but I think maybe that's how they met. I don't know. They're just more like meet in the summer and then they just like the relationship can work when they you know have that free time in the summer to be together um, it seemed like a lot of guys wives taught where they were just more flexible you know they had a consistent paycheck and they also had the flexibility to make the relationship work like you know when i was dating a girl in my last season she had a nine to five and like we never saw each other and i don't know how you how you do that for 10 10 straight years so i think it probably takes a a two special kind of people to understand what the, the grind of it is like would be know have the flexibility of your schedule be able to support your family financially and also have the you know just the time to to spend together too because I mean when you and Amy when you were playing I mean how often would you get to see Amy like, I mean obviously you were kind of lucky playing with the Orioles most of their minor league teams are very very close you know they're yeah. all in the northeast but I mean what and what did other guys do I mean you played with a lot of guys from all over the country what was the norm?
1: Well, there's no norm. I mean, that's the whole thing. You do what you need to do. Some guys had their girlfriends live with them. Some guys had, uh, you know, host families where their family could live with them. Um, some guys had kids. Some guys had families in other countries. I mean, it was uh, – I was lucky. You know, I had – you know, I was, you know, on and off day. I could I could go and see Amy or she could come see me. or You know, she could come for a game or whatever it was. I mean, I was – I was really fortunate um you know i was and like you said i I was always on the east coast i was always in the relative northeast i mean i don't think i went anywhere further than norfolk south which isn't really that south when you think of the scope of the whole country um so you know the norm was there was no norm there was just a bunch of people that uh did what they had to do to make things work for them
0: and so that's where our story like intertwined again so yeah we were teammates 2014 but You know i threw 70 innings that year with camden Uh, about half those innings came as a starter half of them came as a reliever i had a little uh three-week blip in the middle of the season where i had a finger injury i hadn't really like established a super strong footing with camden you know having a four era to finish a year is kind of mediocre as a reliever so but you came along you really bonded with our, our then pitching coach who became the manager the next year chris widger who was a longtime big leaguer 10-year tenure, tenure veteran and won a world series with the white Sox. tell me a little bit how you and, and Widge bonded and you ended up kind of saving me that that winner i mean we would we were just talking we would just talk about baseball And, I mean, Widge is, like, an
1: awesome – I mean, he's an awesome person, but he's just – he's an easy guy to talk to. I mean, the guy's had so much – he's had so many awesome experiences, and he doesn't even talk about them that much. Uh, So a lot of it was me picking his brain and trying to get, you know, some wisdom out of him. And, um, you know, we just – we basically just talked baseball whenever we were around each other. And uh, I mean, we, we saw things similarly. And once when I was injured, I kind of took on like, I, w- I wasn't a bullpen coach, but I was kind of there to help guys with things because that was how I could, well, one, it was therapeutic for me to just, you know, not think about being injured, but also, I mean, it, it was, you know, I was doing something I loved. So widget asked me after the season was over, if I would, come back and help him as like a player coach type thing um, and he was a manager and he said he'd be the pitching coach but he's like you would be you know you'll be the pitching coach when I'm not there and you can you know you'll go out with the pitchers and do that kind of stuff and you know we can talk about stuff during the games and when you pitch you know you can do your thing but you know he's like I'd like you to be an extension of me so then we started to try and form the team and that was I think that's probably where you were going uh, because we were trying to, you know, get starters and get a bullpen and you are
0: trying to have more than you need uh, because just stuff happened. And- well, yeah. And, you know, so I felt pretty nervous about it. Like I wanted to go back and I wanted another chance and I, I enjoyed the team and, you know, I liked Widge and the fact that he was moving up to be the manager was, you know, where I wanted to be and I just didn't have any control over it. So, and, you know, I thought I was obviously like, you know, it's a business, I know I got along well with Widge and I got along well with the guys so I kind of felt like I would get the benefit of the doubt but then I guess after talking to you that winter it was clear that I didn't really have the benefit of the doubt and that you had you know when he kind of went through all the guys and said hey what do you think about Blewett you know like you stuck your neck out for me and you vouched for me that you know You thought things were going to be better. You know, I thought you could pitch in a bullpen and, you know, you had a chance
1: to get guys to swing and miss because you had a good breaking ball. And uh, I thought that you were going to, your command was going to get better. And, you know, you had some velo, which helped. I mean, there were, you know, I just kind of said what you were. And where are we going to get that? Like, we know what he is. We know, like, I I don't know what what else we're looking for. Like, we know what we're getting here. And we could be pleasantly surprised. So, you know, why not? Well, you know the nature of the game. Like, if it, it, especially in indie ball, if it doesn't work out, like they're gonna get somebody else anyway. But at a point where, you know, you're trying to form a team,
0: we know what we have here. Why not? You didn't do anything to not deserve to come back. So obviously, next year we started back together on Camden, and but you didn't really hit the ground running. So what was going on with your shoulder that last year in 2015? It would never was right. I don't know. I don't know what was wrong, but it. I'd had a cortisone shot
1: in the, you know, going into spring training or that, you know, how that ten days or whatever that they call spring training. It, it just never felt right. I mean, I never. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I expired at that point. Like, and I was trying trying to like come to grips with it um, mentally, and you know, we've talked about wh- what I wanted, what I knew I was. Like, I felt like it was in me somewhere, but it may have been, like, at 100% of what I was. You know, I would have had to be, like, clicking on all cylinders. Like, everything's right for me to to approach what I had gotten to, you know, a couple different times throughout my career. That may have been in there, but it may have been my absolute best. Um, Where at other times when I was younger, I may have had more that I could have tapped into. And really, like, you very rarely ever pitch with that so i was pitching at like 70 or 80 percent of that and it it wasn't good enough or you you know i just
0: i was just having a hard time dealing with it yeah and i just kind of like sat back and watched i remember i kind of gave you i kind of gave you advice like one time and you like snapped at me a little bit and all the other guys were doing the same thing they're like hey zach like you know just do this like do this drill like this is your problem and like you knew what you used to be like you made it to the big leagues like you lasted all these years like you knew the old you but you just like couldn't find him and so that whole spring training and that whole first like three weeks of the season you're just in pregame every day trying to find your old self and you just couldn't it was it was tough watching you your frustration mount watching other guys frustration mount with you because they didn't like their advice getting thrown back at them and it was this weird interplay where Zach's trying to find out who he is. He knows who he used to be better than anyone else, but he can't find him. And other guys are trying to help him along, but they don't even know. All the while, everyone else is trying to keep their own shit from sinking. Um, and I started having a I got off to a pretty good start. And it was just a, it was a weird time watching you struggle where, you know, all these years I was the young kid and you kind of helped me along. I grew up in baseball, like separate from you. You grew up in baseball, you know, doing your thing with the Orioles. And then here we were kind of again at the end. We're almost like we'd both climb this mountain and you're the guy like starting to lose your grip. Yeah. You watched me die, Dan. Just say it. you watched me die. Nah. <laughs> in that last month, were you coming to terms with it? like, how were things because I caught glimpses of it in the bus with, you know, you're talking, you know, with your wife on the phone and clearly a hard situation for everybody.
1: Dude, it was tough. It was like, I had trouble when guys who, uh, like, didn't figure themselves out were trying to tell me they had my answers. That just bothered me, you know? Like, especially when I'm not asking for it. I don't know. You like people, it's like, baseball's a weird game where that seems like it's, it's welcome. But, like, hey man, we're just trying to help you, but, like, that doesn't happen in other things. So it's like, uh,. You know, I was trying to work myself through things and it just became like, you know, other people, it just, you know, it was just adding static to my, uh, to my fuzzy antenna. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, it was frustrating, man, because I, like you said, like I knew what I was and I knew what I was, what I could be. I just, you know, between the physical, like not being, it just wasn't there, um, And I never felt comfortable and you know that's a hard feeling to be okay with um and I you know I just never you know it's never got to the point where you know it was it was good
0: enough I also went through that the next year with Long Island my shoulder was barking at me at the end of 2015 and Um, It got better and I kind of came into spring training okay with Long Island, but it just quickly like slipped again. And so that whole season I was like battling my shoulder in silence, trying to just do my job and not draw any attention to myself. And then at the end, putting in extra time in spring training or non spring training in pregame, trying to like tinker with my mechanics, trying to get me right. And I had a plan for it. Like I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was trying to accomplish. And I got labeled, you know, like my pitching coach, who I otherwise liked, who otherwise supported me. Like he was good to me the whole season at the very end. He was just like, you know, I was, I was messed up in my head and I got labeled that like I was a head case. It wasn't a fair label because I knew something I was trying to accomplish that these other guys didn't see. But the fact that they saw me like sort of scrambling to save myself, it just, uh, they think like, Oh, he's just like overthinking it. He's, you know, what is he doing? Like, why is he out there and preying? Like, what is he doing? Like, just go pitch. Like all you have to do is this, all you have to do is that. it's like, right i know what i'm doing like just leave me alone and it didn't get better for me either like that was just like how i went out and that whole winter i tried to rehab you know i tried to get back and it it was that same feeling like that i was just like used up and i just need to like go crawl into the woods and like find a find (laughs) a tree to to die by yeah Um, because at the end of the day that's when your realization because you know i think for both of us at the end it wasn't just like can i can i have another good half season it was can I make it three more years and actually accomplish something? Right. You know, and for me, like, I wanted to pitch in the majors, and I was at least a year away, at least two years away. Like, if someone picked me up and put me in AAA, they were going to throw me in the big leagues the next week. It was going to take a good year or two. And then if I make it there, like, all right, I want to stay here. Yeah. And so it's like, do I possibly have two more years, like, when my arm feels like this today? And then that winter, the answer is clearly no. Like, I, I was throwing bullpens at 83, 84 And throwing 80 was like hard it was really hard to get like break into the 80s did you feel the voice like start to come in your head the voice that was just like dude what are you doing Uh, that voice got loud for me I knew that when I was done I was like
1: fine with like I couldn't like I physically didn't have it so I was okay with being done I didn't feel like at the time going through it that I was done which was probably what made it so frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it was—it's—it's it's a weird thing to, to to go through. I mean, it's just uh, because the whole time you're trying to compete, you're trying to go out there and help your team win games. You're trying—you know—you're doing all these things, and then you're, there's like the human part. There's you know, you got the outside factors. It's like all the things that make baseball so tough are like at that time really tough. I don't know. It kind of like looking back on it, it makes me appreciate all the time leading up to that point or, you know, getting through things in the past, like, and just like kind of looking at people and saying like, man, it's, I don't know. I just look at like, you know, guys put together seasons in the big leagues where they'll have, they'll have bad years and, uh, they're doing it in the big leagues. Like it doesn't get any harder than that. You know, there's, you talk about pressure and you're making money and you know, then there's, there's a whole nother group of things that you deal with. And, uh, I don't know. It's just the going through that for me was, I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, maybe I could have handled it a little bit differently, but I don't know. You know,
0: I try to look back at it and learn from it and, you know, maybe stay in the moment a little bit more. So your first winter off, you went to the winter meetings and I mean, when did scouting kind of pop into your mind? So... At the end of the season, I, uh, I basically decided like at the end
1: of the year, I'm not going to play anymore. Like I just, that was not, I, I couldn't put my family through that. I, I, I really, in my heart didn't feel like I would be playing for anything other than my love to play baseball. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really believe that I was going to get back to the big leagues or, you know, and, and, and I really had no opportunities to do that anyway so there was just, you know, between no opportunities, not my heart, not being in it like it used to be. Um, you know, I started to kind of change my focus to like, okay, I love baseball and I want to stay in baseball. What can I do? And, you know, I thought like, maybe I want to coach Would I like to scout. And I was always intrigued by scouting. And I talked to some people that, um, you know, I'd stayed in touch with while I was playing that were, you know, had coached and guys had scouted. And, um, I just kind of like looked for advice, like what they thought, what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, And it was recommended, you know, by more than one person that I should go to the winter meetings. So that's what I did. I got, you know, got my resume together, uh, called, called the people I knew who were still in baseball and just said, this is what I'm planning on doing. I'm going to go out to the winter meetings and uh, tried to set up meetings with people to, so I didn't have like all dead time when I was out there. And I basically went with my resume and tracked down people that I recognized or, you know, that I had had some contact with at some point in my career and picked them off as they were walking to different meetings and different events and stuff and introduced myself or, you know, reintroduced myself and said, you know, this is, this is my resume. Here's what I've done. Uh, I love baseball and I want to stay in baseball. What, what do you, what do you think? How do I fit? And I basically was asking everybody for advice. And I, you know, I wasn't because I, I still wasn't a hundred percent sure where where someone with my experience, you know, what they did. And you know this, I had a couple of positions where I interviewed with for scouting jobs, and one was the Astros, so that was cool. Uh, and that was the one that just kind of kept progressing. Now, you know, I eventually got offered that
0: the, the job in the Northeast. And so now you're with the Rays. Yeah. Um, you've been there a couple of weeks, right? Yep. How's it going?
1: I mean, it's good. It's just kind of go from one place that gets hit by a hurricane
0: to another. <laughs> I know, that's, that's some crazy luck with uh, man, you're Texas-based, now you're Florida-based. Yeah. So the future looks good. I mean, obviously, you're still in scouting. You know, you're you're only on the market after being released. And it's funny, just the parallels that, you know, you know, I chatted about the other day that, you know, just like in baseball, it's a business and, you know, they let you go and like, you get it. Like, you're not going to throw a fit about it. Like you don't fit in, you don't fit in, you know, it doesn't matter what they're looking for. If, you know, they make employee decisions that are best for them. It's just like any other ball club, whether it's a player or front office. And here you are after only a couple of weeks, you're like, you got a job again. So just like the parallels between being a player and a scout just seem kind of kind of funny, but so now you grew up, you and I both grew up in an era where like we didn't even do pitching lessons. I did like two pitching lessons in my whole life. I learned a curveball and that was pretty right. much it. All or everything else was either, you know, just my my team coaches coaching me and I just guess it's like my body randomly assembling itself, you know, in a efficient sort of way, but you know, we lived through this era where there's no pitching lessons. Then there were tons of pitching lessons. Now there's all this velocity training. Now there's all this Statcast data and sabermetrics is, is huge. Like what do you see for baseball going forward? I mean,
1: I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's, it's all stuff that could make baseball better, but I also think it's, you know, it's fine just the way it is. So it's, I mean, it, we kind of, you kind of touched on a bunch of different things. Like, with the pitching lessons and stuff, I think now you're starting to see guys that come through and there's a different set of skills that they have that, that guys who were older may not have had as early. So now guys are more developed physically and, you know, maybe have more velocity, but they're, they have less pitchability or feel and uh, less command and things like that. So uh, I feel like when I watched baseball as a kid, well, one, you didn't know how hard guys threw all the time, but a guy who threw hard threw 95. And there were a lot more guys who were, you know, pitcher guys, you know, pitchability guys, guys who could change speeds. And there were still guys with good stuff and, and it was still the major leagues. But the the composition of teams was a little bit different than it is now where bullpen guys are, you know, if you don't throw 100.
0: Yeah, a little pansy.
1: You know, you might not have a chance to p- to, pitch in a, to pitch in a bullpen. I mean, it's, you know, guys are throwing 100. It seems like every team has a guy that throws 100. And that wasn't always the case.
0: Yeah, I think back, what, early or mid-2000s, it was like only 30 guys could even throw above 94 on average, something like that, and now there's like hundreds of them not hundreds, but that's an exaggeration. But, yeah, I mean, the average velocity is going up like crazy. So what else do you think? I mean, StatCast data, all the Sabermetrics data, I mean, how do you see it influencing players? Is it already impacting high school players? Oh, I I mean, I don't know what – see, I'm, like, still learning about
1: the scouting. Like, you're kind of talking, like, generally about, like, the scouting industry, and I don't have – a huge base of knowledge for that because I'm still, you know, I'm still so new to it. And I have, you know, I, I was struggling to, you know, I didn't even know what the Astros did and I worked for them. So, uh, you know, to talk about an industry and what multiple teams are doing, like, yeah, the numbers, the numbers are definitely like play a factor to what degree I don't, no, you know, but they, you know, every event, there's the blast motion. There's the, uh, the other brand that puts the cap on the bat. The, yeah. Like you the, you know, the, the, diamond, the bat. diamond kinetics. Yeah. There's all sorts of stuff like that. There's all these different measurements for things. And, um, you know, there's people are putting numbers to things and, and they're able to measure. Um, so I mean, is it good or bad? I don't know, but it's the way it is. And it's, you know, baseball seems to be going in that direction. And, you know, there's people that are going to its job. It is to figure out ways to use the numbers and to, you know, not miss guys. I think for sure there's less guys that are being missed
0: than before. There's um, there's a lot less unknown guys. OK, last question. One thing you're really going to miss about the game. The one thing you're definitely super glad that you don't have to do or go through anymore. Okay, definitely going to miss, well, there's two things, competing, I miss the
1: competing and the preparation and everything that goes into, you know, the the game, like being on the field, and I miss the locker room, just, you know, hanging out, goofing around, jokes, you know, playing music when you win, Um, just the, you know, hanging out with the guys, like that kind of stuff, I miss that. Um because I haven't been able to get either of those, you know, hanging around the ball field with some scouts is cool. Um, It's definitely not the locker room, but it's, it's kind of fun, but you don't get the, you know, the preparation and the competing part where you can kind of like show it off and see how you stack up. I mean, it's, it's hard to match that. Yeah. Uh, um, Something I won't miss
0: is uh, I, I don't miss the food really. I mean, that was, was kind of crappy. I mean, you probably had a because lot of bad ones, but what was your worst, like, post-game spread? Nothing. Okay, besides nothing.
1: Uh, I don't know, like a couple really hard chicken fingers and, like, you know, some French fries that were probably four or five days old. I mean, it's like or like just the the thing that you just like you're like i'm not eating that like there's no way i'm eating that i don't know what that is but it looks like hot diarrhea and i'm not gonna eat it and like everybody who's played knows exactly what i'm talking about because that was the worst you know like, they, they peel the plastic off and you're like what is that and then like somebody's eating it like they're like eating it like there's oh it's always kind of someone who like, eats dude. it yeah like, always one wait, guy dude.
0: no <laughs> Everyone has one story, at least one story like that. Like it just immediately shot into my mind that I do as well. But hey, man, it's been awesome. Finally getting you on the on the podcast. which uh, been hounding you for it. It's got 20, 20 episodes through and finally you're here. But it was good. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Sorry it took so long. No, it's been awesome. All right, Zach. Take care, man. All right, and thanks for being with us. Uh, this was another great first two part episode of uh, Dear Baseball Gods. And we'll uh, catch you here next week.